you kind of have to create these pre-qualifiers for yourself, not just in clients that you take on, but in things that you take on in your life in general. Is something that is actually going to create more stress for me or less stress? And at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. If you're like, well, I'm going to give up something that is supporting me to be more productive so that I look like I'm more qualified. You're not only diminishing the value, the surface level value that you talked about, you know, in perceived value or value for yourself, but you're diminishing your actual ability to give more in that project moving forward. Welcome to Pivot Me, where we give business tips and mental hacks so you can move past your biggest obstacles and live the life you've earned. And now your host, business advisor and performance expert, April Garcia. For years, I made large companies larger and rich people richer. Now I coach driven entrepreneurs to hack success, create more time and get better results through high performance habits, the multiply me method, and a little mental gymnastics. On Pivot Me, I talk to thought leaders and experts sharing our successes, our many scrubs, and how we can all use both to move us to the next level. Join us and learn real, simple steps to pivot you and your business towards the life you've earned. Do you have a hard time slowing down? Do you struggle to stop yourself from achieving, performing, doing one more task, answering just one more email? Maybe you're missing breakfasts and dinners all in pursuit of that payoff one day, that win that's just right around the corner that makes your schedule so much easier. Well, my guest today felt like she couldn't slow down. And after years of 100-hour work weeks, building a business and a staff, she experienced a pivot point. Ultimately, it was a discussion with her husband that forced her to slow down. Today, we're talking to MJ Gordon, business owner and coach that scaled her business, built her team, and then burned it all to the ground when she realized her foundation was weak. She was working so hard for her family, but she really wasn't being there with her family. She talks about the moment that everything changed, that discussion. We're going to discuss her physical challenges that came from working so hard for so long and how she reprioritized her health, how she switched her mantra from go faster to slow down. And this one was a hard one for me too, because I am kind of in camp A. And so talking to her made me pause and, and reflect on some things, including how I put candles in my house before guests come over. But you're going to hear that in a second. She makes us stop and think about how we're doing things. I think you're really going to love it. And now she lives every day as a vacation day through this practice that she does, her intentionality, her minimalism, which I totally get that, the minimalism. That's very appealing to me too. So, and we're even gonna talk about why she doesn't have bed frames in her house. So this is a great conversation. MJ is so relatable and down to earth. You're gonna love it. Let's dive in. I am so excited to have you today, MJ. Thank you for joining us at Pivot Me. Thanks so much, April. I'm so honored to be here. Absolutely. So we just obviously went through your bio and it is amazing. And I would love for you to explain what the everyday vacation is, like what it is and why you started this idea. Absolutely. So 
one time I was on vacation with some friends and family and we had the whole trip jam packed, like to the brim with all the things, you know, we want to see this, we want to go there and everybody put their wish list down and we went for it. And by the end of the week, I told my husband, I prepared so much for this vacation so that I could have an, a vacation every day this week. And I came off this vacation feeling more stressed than ever. And so that's when I realized that having an everyday vacation needed to incorporate elements that made me feel like I was on vacation. And for me, that wasn't waking up to an alarm so we can rush to the next best thing. It was for me, waking up slow, waking up on my own time, incorporating all the things that were important to me that I love. So time with family, time for myself, time for my fitness, time for my interest, hobbies, and even time for my passions and pursuits. Wow. So what did you do after this? So you had this experience and you're like, yeah, this is the way I should be doing it. Then a lot of people would have that idea and maybe not take action. Like what happened after that? So I didn't take action. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing, nothing happened. I just had that moment. And the time in my life at that point was very much pursuing the everyday vacation later. If I do all the things, if I just built and had a successful business, then I'd have enough money to fund an everyday vacation. If I built that successful business and I could automate so I could have the time with my kids and my family, I was going through the motions, working my 90 to hundred hours a week. And then one day my husband was like, Hey, what are we doing? Like our kids are growing. You're not at breakfast. You're not at dinner. When you are around, you're not really present or you're stressed or your mind is on some email. What are we doing? We are not living life. And so it was really kind of like getting, you know, the tablecloth pulled out from under or the rug pulled out from under because I was shocked that I didn't even consider it, that that I was just kind of mindlessly going my way and not thinking about, is this important to me? And not thinking that my kids are growing up and I'm never going to get this time back. So you were kind of living in this, like one day I'm going to enjoy this one day. I'm going to have time for this. All this work today is going to pay off one day. Yes. But not incorporating the things that were to me every day. So totally missing the life. Right. And so that led to burnout, fatigue, lack of passion, lack of motivation. It wasn't just that my husband came to me, but my husband came to me and finally confronted me after we hit this precipice of our first failure in business. For a lot of people, it's maybe overextending finances, which for us, it was not planning properly, maybe hiring too big of a team, trying to scale too fast. You know, that's what I did. And we hit this place where our company went into debt, which required more time, more hours for me to try to save it. And that's when my husband was like, wait, what are we doing? (laughs) Let's stop for a second. Think about what our goal is and what we're going to do about it. So, yeah. It was a a wake up call to say, you know what, this is true. This is like my week vacation where I'm just running from the top of the hour to no end and not stopping to think about why I'm even doing this in the first place. Yeah. So first, so you have this conversation, you have this hard conversation with your husband, he has it with you. And then you're kind of sitting in this place of like, well, okay, there's some validity to this change is needed. What did you do after that? Like what steps did you take? So I didn't know at that time that I had adrenal fatigue. So a lot of people don't like this word because it could be pseudoscience or whatever, but, you know, to boil it down to actually what was happening, my body wasn't making any cortisol. So I got tested. I got a couple different opinions of specialists and they all said the same thing. You have no cortisol. 
And that's a big deal because cortisol is your fight or flight hormone. It's the hormone that causes you to be able to take action. And it does so many other amazing, good things for your body. But if you're not making cortisol, you literally feel like a ton of bricks. And I couldn't understand why, you know, I had a a good exercise routine. I was into eating really healthy, you know, doing all the right things, burning the candle at both ends, but, you know, still prioritizing sleep and all this stuff. And why did things feel so difficult and hard for me? So the first thing that I did was really, I did take a step back and I did have that moment where I was like, am I even doing the right thing? Like, do I really want to be doing this? We were pretty balanced before I started trying to scale the company and maybe I'll be happy there. And there were a lot of mixed feelings with that. There was feelings of, am I just being a loser and quitting? Or am I actually trying to be honest for once? And, you know, like you don't really know. So I spent probably next year really just observing, not taking action on the business, letting it sit and taking more action on combating this adrenal fatigue or getting my hormone levels back up naturally. We actually changed our whole lifestyle. We were living in Hawaii at that time. We packed up, we moved over here to Florida where we currently are. I let go of my entire team at the end of the year, which was really difficult for me to do. And I scaled back and stopped working hundred hours a week and started working part-time so I could focus on creating a lifestyle that balanced recovery for my body. It was really difficult in the respect that here was all my dreams. And I was like running, right? Like all this velocity moving in one direction and everything just kind of like came to a slow roll. You kind of lose a sense of purpose. Like you're like, okay, it is important. My family is important to me, but you know, I got so attached to this purpose and goal and you get into it and it's almost like you just kind of get sucked in, you know? Yeah. How do you manage your mindset? I mean, I'm just thinking about this hundred hour weeks, you've got a team, you've got this trajectory, like all this momentum headed in one direction. What I keep thinking of is man, welcome in the identity crisis. How did you manage that? Yeah. I mean, looking back, I really think I went into a state of depression. I don't think I realized it at that time, but fortunately for me, I had something positive to look forward. Like I had a new goal, which was, I got to fix my health first. And I told my husband, like, I know we're in this financial debt and I'm going to just let it sit there for a minute. Meaning it's not going to be my priority. We won't go into any further debt, but I'm not going to prioritize it. I'm going to prioritize my health first because it seems like this is the weakest link. And if I can get my health up to par, then I can get my energy to a place where I can tackle the debt and not have to work a hundred hours a week, right? So it was identifying first what was valuable and number two, like what's it gonna take to get there? And so I think the toughest thing with that identity crisis is like the performance expectations. You know, I spent my whole, most of my life really being able to go a hundred miles an hour all the time. I was a performance athlete. You know, I've always been in business since I was in my teens. And now we're at this place where the constant mantra in my life was slow down. Ooh, totally different. Slow down to be intentional, right? When you have a million things flying at your face, you're kind of holding your breath. Like you can't even breathe because you're kind of, I don't know. I think of like fruit ninja or something. Like you're just kind of like trying to slice at everything left and right. Great metaphor. Great. (laughs) (laughs) But you could just like hit pause for a sec and be like, where do I actually want to spend my energy slicing at or tackling to move forward? 
that's it's still to this very day, the very thing that I have to stop and be like, hey, instead of inhaling everything. Yeah. MD, I'm trying to imagine myself doing this. And we've talked, we're in, in a lot of ways cut from the same cloth. And I can't imagine slowing down for that period of time. And in that, my biggest hurdle would be me. I would constantly have to battle myself from, but I have to perform. This is who I am. This is how I'm wired. Like, is there a process? Was there meditation? Was there affirmations? Was there journaling? Like, how did you manage this transition from going 100-hour weeks to having an affirmation on slowing down? Yeah, I think there's this story or this sort of parable that talks about how a smoker tries his whole life to quit smoking cigarettes. And so every day he's like, I'm going to reduce my smoking by one cigarette a day, one cigarette a day. And finally he gets down to less than a pack a day. And then on some random whim is like FOMO, forget it. You know, like I'm going to go back and just like not think about not be conscious. Right. So you can definitely through small intentional acts, I think, and, and intentionality is huge, right? Consistently move towards a goal or the smoker gets to the doctor and the doctor says, Hey, if you don't quit right now, you're literally going to die in a year, right? You cancer so huge. Like you have to stop. And then there's this impactful emotional experience that says, Hey, like you got to pivot now, right? Cause you're going to fall off a cliff. And so in that, I think I struggled for eight years actually with the energy and trying to keep things in balance. Like it was a struggle. And I just thought, oh, this is just how it is. Entrepreneurial life, you know, hashtag. But <laughs> finally, when you, you get this mountain of debt, then your husband's like, hey, get your stuff straight or else we're not, you know, meant for each other. I was standing at the cliff about to to tip over. And I finally was able to look way, way down and say, that is not some place I want to fall. So we do things like go to retreats or go to these life-changing events or whatnot. But I think this is like kind of backwards to what we're taught in business, but there's this, they call it like negative visualization. Have you ever heard of this? Mm-mm, no. Oh, like Gary Vee is really into it. And I've heard it from a couple other people, but negative visualization is when you do the opposite of positive visualization, which is if I continue on this path, what is a worse thing that can happen? Mm. If I don't do the things that get me to my goal or that serve me or add value, like what is that cliff that I'm going to fall off of? And so for me, that was very real in my mind. Like if I don't fix this now, I'm only going to lose more time with my kids. I'm only going to disconnect from my family, which is the whole reason I'm doing this in the first place, right? That future everyday vacation. And it was like, why can't I take 20 minutes to just spend quality time with each kid every single day? Yeah, let's pause on that for one second, MJ. This is so important that if I continue on this path, I'm going to disconnect with my family further. And they're the whole reason why I'm on this path. So I really want to emphasize that because a lot of people will justify their intense work hours. And I've, I'm guilty of this too. You justify intense work hours because you're doing it for your family. Well, I want to provide a great life. I want to provide all these opportunities and these experiences and things like that. But that's a really important point. We can be saying that, but then how we're living our life each day is not for our family. Mm-hmm, exactly. That's a really good point. I can't tell you how many friends and even family members I have who find resentment towards one or both their parents 
even though they had great lives because their parents were absent in their lives. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Some people might not be family, but for me, that was my driving purpose is to create this life for my family. And what I realized in that moment is I can live an everyday vacation. Like an everyday vacation doesn't have to be jet setting. It doesn't have to be luxury five-star hotels. An everyday vacation for me is just like sitting on the patio, shooting the shit, excuse my language, but you know, just like that quality time together or, or, you know, those moments where you just get flooded with extreme laughter over something in the present moment, but I wasn't in the present moment. So I was missing those. And those things take space. I want to emphasize this because we talk about productivity a lot on Pivot Me, but I want to be clear that if you're listening right now and you have kids, you can't be productive with your kids. Like you can't go, (laughs) I'm going to really connect with them and we're going to have an impactful conversation from between 7 and 7.30 p.m. tonight. It doesn't work like that with kids. Like opportunities arise and you have to enter into those opportunities. You have to be present in those opportunities. I'm just thinking two nights ago with my oldest, it was we were laying on the hammock in the backyard. And I recognized that she was kind of in this sort of space where she would open up and talk and she's about to go into middle school. So I said, how about you and I go lay on the hammock? Literally, I had the spaghetti out on the counter to cook dinner. And then I was like, that can wait. We're going to go lay on the hammock because there was this moment and I knew I needed to capitalize on this moment. And then we laid on the hammock and ended up being 45 minutes. And then my husband and my youngest came found us. They're like, where are you? And why is the (laughs) spaghetti on the counter? But these moments you have to be present for and you can't necessarily schedule them in. That's the tricky part about being a parent. But the 45 minutes we spent on the hammock talking about middle school and hopes and fears and all the things, that was the highlight of my week. And I had to be present to have it. And I couldn't have scheduled that in. Yeah. And I mean, whether you're a parent or not, that moment can be the space. Like they say, boredom is actually important because this is the space where your creativity kicks in. You're processing, managing your own thoughts, emotions, feelings, perspectives. That's so important to do on a regular daily basis, because if you don't, then that overwhelm starts to creep in, right? You're not processing your stuff. You actually lose productivity because you're not clear as you move forward. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And you're right. It doesn't have to be a parent. It can be just the creativity with your business. It can be the time with your partner or with parents or a friend, That's so good. We do kind of entrepreneur parents do sort of live under the guise of I'm doing it all for them. And well, would they want it to be done like that? Yeah. It's a good question. Okay. How do you do this? Like, how do you go, okay, I have this awareness and then I take this year to process it and kind of sit with it. You know, for someone who's listening, a pivoter that's listening right now and go, okay, I am moving fast. I'm moving very, very fast. I've got a very busy life. I am trying to create this amazing life, maybe even generational wealth for my family. Okay, I hear all of that. But then they go, well, what would an everyday vacation look like? How does someone create something like that? So the first things first is you got to get your foundation right. Whether you're a mom or a dad or business owner or both, or you're trying to do things like you're trying to contribute to your community, or you're trying to build something meaningful on top of, you know, running and managing a business and running and managing your health and everything else you're trying to do excellently. You're a high performer. And if you look at anybody or anything that has high performance tagged to it, whether it's a NASCAR car or a professional athlete, the first and most important thing comes down to their how well they take care of the hardware. NASCAR cars stop at 
a certain point at every single race, they take the time out of the race to change the tires, like lube up all the things, because if they don't, they will crash and burn. It is a high risk to move forward when your foundation's not right. So that's the one thing that I realized at that point was, yes, like I I was working a lot. I had all, I had the team, I had all these things, but my foundation wasn't right. So I crashed and burned physically, financially, relationally, all of those things, they were built on stilts. So I realized like, yes, it's self-talk. It's really difficult to have like the humility and say, to people, I really want to go play volleyball with you right now, but I need a break. Yeah. <laughs> I will sit and watch and drink my tea. And as an entrepreneur, you have kind of this pride and how well you do things and how much you show up to things. And so it was very humbling to look like a normally functioning person, if not expected to be a high functioning person and to say, mm, I don't have the capacity for that. And to be just very honest about it, right? A lot of people don't understand. But what I knew was if I were to set the foundation straight, then eventually I can go back and be a NASCAR racer, right? I can go back into my race. And that's exactly what happened. And it wasn't overnight. You build one thing at a time. It's like a professional weightlifter does not lift their 500 pounds or whatever it is they lift overnight. They add one pound to their weight each and every single time. And that strength, that resilience builds. And so when that foundation is right, you do have the core and the capacity to muster all that weight. But the first time you get into the gym, I mean, like I picked up 10 pound dumbbells and I was like, I'm dying. (laughs) It's too heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So I hear clarity at the beginning, just getting honest with yourself. And then I'm hearing a lot of no's, like understanding what serves you and what doesn't, and then giving yourself the space to say no. Sometimes that will be letting people down. Is there any other steps that you can give us and that it happens incrementally? Like it's not a light switch, your weightlifting metaphor, like it's going to take some time and we're going to get better at handling it. Is there any other steps that you could suggest on, hey, this is how you move from here to there? Yeah. I mean, so... I like to bring the science into like what goes on into our actual brains, which, you know, we have our central nervous system, which is what's responsible for our functioning, right? We talked about cortisol and the fight or flight. So what happened in my situation and what happens in a lot of people's situations today, especially high performers, is we're constantly in this low grade fight or flight state, which is the sympathetic nervous system. And we're designed, humans are designed to really respond to high stress. So there's a bear, there's a fire, or, you know, someone's attacking my village or, you know, we're starving and we need to move in the hot desert. We actually have a high resilience capacity, but only for short periods of time. So now in today's world, and especially now with the way the digital world, our work is at our fingertips 24 seven, not only that we bring this high level, like brainwave kind of activity into bed with us before we go to sleep, we wake up. And the first thing that we tend to grab is our phone. Our central nervous system never relaxes into that parasympathetic state, which is the rest and restoration, the recovery. We're actually supposed to be in parasympathetic way more than we are in sympathetic. And now we live our lives opposite of that. So what I discovered in my recovery is if I can balance these two out perfectly, right? So if I can tell that I'm moving into sympathetic, then I allow myself back. And this is just as simple as taking like Pomodoro breaks, 
or having a good morning routine or taking a moment to be present, getting that daily time that you're scheduling, how inconvenient it is, but 45 minutes in the hammock in this moment, like I'm getting present with my daughter or maybe it's your pet or whatever. Those things are what are going to help balance your ability to actually have higher resilience to stress. And if you have a high stress resilience, then your ability to have the capacity for more and be more productive and be more efficient during those states of productivity actually amplify. Mm, That's so good. I love that. I'm just thinking about these moments we're trying to be present. Don't have your phone with you. Exactly. Because it's constantly pulling you back into that state. I'm just thinking about when I went out and laid in the hammock with her, if I would have had my phone in my pocket, what do I know about my phone? It buzzes constantly because there's constantly text messages and well, email buzzes are off because that would just be terrible. But you know, (laughs) Slack messages and WhatsApp messages and all the things, it's constantly barking for my attention. Let me just clarify this. Even if you don't look at your phone, it's still taking your focus away because you're anticipating whoever just texted you. Oh, is that where the response back on the contract? Oh, is that about my daughter's dentist appointment? Oh, is it, you're already starting to problem solve whatever you think that might've been. So I just want to add to that. And in those moments that you're trying to be present, don't have your digital distractions with you. You know, after I went back into work, after my recovery process, and I started working on growing the business again, I had very intentional at that point, like work hours, you know, a lot of us work from home or we're entrepreneurs. And so we do have the phone on 24 seven. And I understand that at certain times it's important to be very attentive, but for me, like when I wake up, I don't touch my phone until after my morning routine. And I have a very distinct, this is my in-office time. Even if I get an email, I mean, it is so exceptional. Like if I get an email after my office hours, unless it's like, you know, something's burning down right now and needs to be put out, it's going to wait till tomorrow. And most of the time, if it's something that needs to be responded to, it's like, I text my assistant, Hey, can you just get to that? Let them know I'm going to get to them in the morning or whatever. Something very simple that I can just blow off in that moment, because at that moment I'm not at work. And those distinct spaces are really important because then when I get back to work, I'm motivated to be there. I'm looking forward to tackling those things. And my mind is 100% there because I've given myself time to be 100% here in my life for myself where I can rest and recover, right? It's those little NASCAR pit stops that allow me to just go back to hundred miles an hour. Yeah, it's so good. I think you're right in how we set up our society now and with technology. It's this 24-hour access, which is terrible for us. I mean, what I heard in there too was really good boundaries. Putting them on yourself and my guess is putting them on other people too, like setting the expectation. I won't be responding back at this time or that sort of stuff is really important because we teach people how to treat us and we have to set that expectation up front that is like, I'm unavailable at these times. These are my office hours or set that up front because especially for newer business owners, newer business owners feel like they have to be available 24 seven. That much access to you actually diminishes your expertise and your perceived value. So if you are a new business owner and you're like, oh, but I've got to answer back to this email or this contractor or this or that, just know that you're actually hurting yourself in that process, not just from an energy standpoint and a boundary standpoint, but also your perceived value goes down. So it's just something I've seen with a lot of new business owners. That's a good tip too, because I do think that a lot of us new business owners try to sort of make up for, right? Like the imposter syndrome or maybe the feeling of like, I'm not good enough. So I need to make up for it because I'm not as qualified or 
I don't have the experience or whatever. I think it's important to have the confidence that if you're willing to deliver the value and not by being there 24 seven. So it's, it's interesting to kind of categorize like what truly adds value, right? One of the things that I did as a new business owner was I give discounts left and right. And I thought- Mark of a new business owner. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I didn't perceive the stress that it was going to cause because people meeting my price points at where it was actually fair to produce the work, right? Actually pre-qualifies them as to whether or not they're a good candidate to do business with. So you kind of have to create these pre-qualifiers for yourself not just in clients that you take on, but in things that you take on in your life in general. Is something that is actually going to create more stress for me or less stress? And at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. If you're like, well, I'm going to give up something that is supporting me to be more productive so that I look like I'm more qualified, you're not only diminishing the value, the surface level value that you talked about, you know, in perceived value or value for yourself, but you're diminishing your actual ability to give more in that project moving forward. Yeah. Because just access to you is not necessarily value to them. It can be pitched as that. Clients love to hear, well, 24-7 support, da, 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 da. But it's more like a marketing bullet point than actual value. And so delineate between the two because I think a lot of new business owners make that mistake. Everything demands your attention right now. You want to be on your A-game, but you need two of you just to manage your day. But what if I could multiply you? What if I told you there are secrets that top performers are using right now to still get ahead? There are, and I'll give them to you. In my new Four Steps videos, I'll show you how to master distraction, practice prioritization, get the right things done without working more hours. And for now, I'm doing it for free. Your time is priceless right now and you need to take back control of your day and your to-do list. Go to pivot-me.com backslash four steps and you can begin the videos within seconds. We all need more time right now and four steps will give it to you. Yes, you can multiply yourself. And I'll show you how to do it in four steps. MJ, I'm just thinking of the business before that you ran and the 100-hour weeks. And many of us are guilty of this, especially as new business owners. When I think about the 100-hour weeks, MJ, what's driving that? Is it that the needs of the business are so high? Is it that we're afraid that we can't deliver, so we feel like we have to work constantly? Like, What's really at the root of the 100-hour work weeks? That's a great question. One of the things that I talk about is like perfectionism, self-judgment, like these performance expectations. Like for me, I tend to compare myself. So I'm like, hey, if I want a business like so-and-so, like Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or fill in the blank, I got to be like that, right? But the truth is at the end of the day, the question my husband poses is like, what are we doing with our lives? You know, if I want to be an Elon Musk or anything even remotely close to half of that, what do I have to give up? And so in my business, I failed to apply the 80-20 rule, what 20% actually matters. And I was busy spending time and money on things that didn't make money, like beautifying my brand and redesigning my website over and over and over again. And (laughs) 
(laughs) spending extra hours on like making a new cover letter, the things like you already implemented, put in place, but then you look at the person next door and say, oh, well, they have a hundred million dollar company. Like my stuff should look like that, but that's not where they started. And so it goes back down to that, what we discussed where it's like, we want to be NASCAR racers without getting the hardware, you know, the foundation set up first and you're going to crash and burn. The towers aren't built in one overnight setup. Like you got to start with the first brick. Yeah. I love the point of when I look at like an Elon Musk and I think I want to be like him, like to have that level of success or Steve Jobs or Oprah Winfrey, whoever you have to take a step back and go, what did they have to sacrifice to get there? And am I willing to make that same sacrifice? I think people maybe want the financial rewards, maybe the notoriety, but there's no shame in this. Step back and say, do I really want to sacrifice the things that they had to sacrifice? Those people that we just mentioned, their success wasn't necessarily handed to them. And so if you look at someone like that, you have to ask the question of, am I prepared to sacrifice what they sacrificed to get there? Yeah, it's a hundred percent true because I think a lot of times, I don't know if you've done this, but like when I first started business, I was like, oh, this sounds great. Like I'm going to work for myself. I'm going to be my own boss. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to make the money that I want to make. Right. Yeah. And then total newbie business owner. And I was kind of like a teen, like early twenties when I got into this. And I was like, what? I got to pay taxes. I got to spend what to like do a corporation. And then I was in and out with lawyers and accountants trying to learn what the whole corporate thing was. Like that was a whole part-time job in and of itself. You don't actually get to do what you love for a living, totally what you want to do, because you have to make sure that you're serving a marketplace that's willing to pay you for it. And so many people are like, I just want to do what I love. Well, you know, if you love taking, so for me, I was like, I love taking photos. I love taking photos of nature, my kids, my food, whatever. I'm taking photos of products on a white backdrop, right? <laughs> or, like, or like I'm setting up this huge thing, like on the beach so that I can put a product there and take the photo. And I mean, you can I like, that's not exactly what I was thinking when, <laughs> when I thought about doing what I love, sure. right? So, I mean, and so you get there and I had to think like, do I really love this? Like, right. This is not what I 100% picture. It is a successful business, but that assessment, that evaluation that extreme honesty of like, am I willing to sacrifice? And I, I sacrificed a lot of my own time, my personal time with the camera because I had it in my hand 24 seven um, to take photos of inanimate objects. Ooh, so. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. If someone's listening right now and they're like, they're working all the hours and now they're starting to think, well, do I need to be working as many hours as I do? Maybe I'm overcomplicating it. Maybe I'm not applying the 80-20 rule. What would you say to someone like that who's sort of questioning right now the demands of their schedule and the way that they're approaching their business? I would say instead of looking just at the result, we look at people with 10 figure companies and think, I like the private jet. I like the fancy house, whatever. You have to ask what day in, day out, do you want those same problems? I love Mark Manson, how he says, what problems do you want in your life? Because no matter what choice you make in life, you're going to have a set of problems. So as a business owner, you're going to have a different set of problems than an employee. As somebody who runs a hundred hour company a week, that's a different set of problems than somebody who might want to spend time with their family every single day. And as much as we like to think we can have it all, I do believe we can feel like we have it all 
if we hit the points that create true happiness and fulfillment in our lives. So that takes a lot of self-honesty, self-reflection, learning yourself. A lot of times, if you are so busy that you don't have this time for yourself, you don't get to know yourself at all. And so we're stuck in this place where we're conflicted and confused. Oh, that's such a good point. Yeah. So get to know yourself first. I was working with a business owner. She's a very successful, we'll say a fitness pioneer. So she has built a very large business for probably 15 years now. And it's worked out really well. It's provided her and several of her family members a great living. And when we went through a process, kind of this discovery process a, a bit ago, she said, I've been on autopilot for years. And from the outside, everything looked great. I live in dream locations. I upload fitness videos. I've got this really amazing community. She's kind of like a Julian Michaels, we'll say that, but not Julian Michaels. And she said, I've been on autopilot because I never took the time to ask, is this really what I want to be doing? Because again, the combination of money and accolades and just natural ability all sort of led into the, well, this is what I'm doing now. And she was doing it for lots of hours and she was doing it for lots of money too, but she was on autopilot. And I mean, when she realized it, it was like a smack in the face. And she said, for the first time I'm getting into the driver's seat and saying, okay, where do I want to go? And maybe I'll end up in the exact same place as what I'm doing right now, but I will do it aware. I will do it intentionally and consciously. And I think a lot of us are doing that. We're doing what we think we need to do to maybe get to where we want to go, but we're being unintentional. We're asleep at the wheel. And so just taking the time to get to know us, get to know where we really want to be, that does take time. You know, what we're talking about on your show, it, it takes some white space on your paper. And most of us have written in all the margins. Yeah. You know, in that position of your client, for example, there's so much praise on the sidelines. Yes, there is. So much cheering on because from the sidelines, it looks so nice. So it's easy, very easy to just continue onward because it seems like there's all this confirmation that it is the right thing to do. My brand strategist just said a beautiful line the other day. I hope I can remember it exactly, Jay, but he said, most of the people I work with are going after goals that were never set by them. And I was like, man, ain't that true for all of us? Like if we're not careful, we're hustling after some goal, some dollar amount, revenue amount, whatever it is that wasn't even set by us, but we're sort of on this conveyor belt. Like, oh, I've got to do the thing to have the life that I want. Well, maybe, but pull on that thread and ask if that's really true. Yeah. Not just on a business standpoint, right? It's on all the little things. So we're huge proponents of minimalists, not because we wanted to be. But because I was one day standing in front of my storage unit that I was paying, I think it was almost $200 a month for to hold all these items. And my husband looked around and he said, how long have you had the storage unit? And I said, about two years. And he said, I wonder if you could replace everything in this unit with all the money that you've spent housing it. (laughs) And I thought, oh my gosh, I could, and I would totally buy better things. Like, <laughs> we would not repurchase these items. So it comes down to what you spend your time on, what you spend your money on. Recently, we put all the beds on the floor. 
this is crazy. We used to sleep on the floor and this is because we traveled so much and like moving a bed, it was just such a pain. And so, but we moved to this house and I bought beds and bed frames and all that. And because we have this baby recently and he likes to climb on the bed and stuff like that, we just wanted less things he can fall off of. So we're like, oh yeah, it's cool. We can crawl into bed for a nap and we don't have to worry about him rolling off. Well, our daughters are like, oh, this is great. We want to put our beds on the floor too. And I'm sitting here with a closet full of bed frames thinking, here I go again. It's the storage unit all over again. <laughs> all over again. But you know, the time that it took to buy the bed frames, to put the bed frames together, to organize in the room and now do the opposite. Like all these things add up. Do you know anything you spend five minutes a day on adds to over 30 hours a year? Wow. Five minutes a day equals over one day of your life every single year. That's a really good point. I mean, like a lot of times we just say, oh, it's okay. It's just five minutes. It's just a minute here. It's just a minute there. And slowly but surely you're eating your life away. So I love that. But I kind of really process what you just said about the beds. You run a successful business. You are an influencer. People are looking up to you and amazed at the things that you've done. But if I was to walk into your house right now, I would not see bed frames. I would see mattresses on the floor. Like talk about bucking the system. Like, nope, that doesn't serve us. We're getting rid of the bed frames. I mean, you really had to let go of some societal expectations to live the way that you guys live right now. Yeah. And I appreciate you bringing around that point because that was my point about the whole storage unit in the first place was it's like, you know, I had all these clothes that were really nice, really nice, really comfortable, really nice. And it was just like, I always just went to my like stereotypical, like shorts and a t-shirt. And I remember a few years ago, I went to a business convention after not going to it for a few years. And, you know, you got Gary V on stage in a pair of jeans and Converse, like saying the F word every two seconds. And I'm in these high heels, full blazer and suit. Cause that's what it was like, you know, like it was 15 years ago. Right. And after I saw Gary, V on stage, I went to my car and swapped my shoes for my flip-flops. <laughs> I'm in a blazer, like a full suit and my flip-flops. And I'm just like, I just don't even care anymore so true. because it's not worth the stress. The amount of energy and time that we put into things that actually don't make us productive, that actually don't lead to our happiness and success is insane. And I thought to myself, okay, who of my actual friends and family that I care for like the people who really know me, who's going to care that my mattress is on the floor? No one. And if somebody is going to like judge me, like to the point where, you know, it makes them feel bad because I choose to put my mattress on the floor, they're probably not a very valuable connection to have in the first place. That's true. That's true. That's the kind of world we live in now. I love the Gary Vee story. I love the wearing the suit because I have an amazing amount of gray pantsuits from my corporate world. I'm like, where am I going to wear these? Because now in the business that I've had for the last four years, at least, everybody knows the uniform, whether it's me doing a keynote speech or whether I'm teaching a workshop, whatever it is, it's red sneakers and then like black dress pants and some kind of relatively nice shirt, usually this shirt because I love blue. And so it's so funny because I'm like, I still have a closet full of corporate outfits that I used to wear at conventions or at speeches and things like that. I don't wear any of those things anymore. So I'm rethinking about all of those things that I have to and all the high heels that I'll probably never wear again. I love this, but I would ask a pivoter who's listening, like, what's your equivalent of the bed frame? What are you doing? What are you 
assembling, deassembling, what are you spending your time on buying or constructing that you don't even really want or care about, but you're doing it because people come to your house and expect to see a bed frame. It's just a great analogy. And I'm thinking about the same thing in my life. Like, what is the thing? We're really getting behind the scenes, but my daughter asked me the other day, we were having friends over, it was a graduation party. And we're doing the thing that I do before we have friends over, which is suddenly the house has got to be super clean and the pillows have to be flat. Like I still do that thing. I do that too. Right. And so I'm like, people are coming over, make it look like nobody lives in this house. And so I'm doing the thing and I'm going to be honest, I do that too. And so we're doing the thing and our freshly minted 11 year old looks at me and says, mom, why do we clean the house so much before people come over? It got me. I was like, oh, well, and so then you're balancing. Well, like, it's not necessarily societal expectations. It's also like courtesy. And then, that, well, is it that true? And she goes, we light a candle in the guest bathroom every time we have guests over, but we never have that candle lit when it's just us. Then I'm like, well, I, we should start lighting the candle because I love the way it smells. And then I'm like, well, why am I doing that? And she, like into like existential crisis of why do we do this thing? I don't have the answer yet. This just happened a couple of days ago, but it made me painfully aware that I too am jockeying for position or trying to put on this perception. We had a friend come to stay with us on Saturday and I was like, okay, well, just so you know, we've got two young kids. So there's going to be like stuffed animals and there's going to be squishmallows you have to walk over and all the things. And then she gets in, in the car and I was like, oh, my daughter ate crackers in the car, which saltine crackers, which she eats. What's the character from Sesame Street? Like she doesn't put them in her mouth. She just kind of you know, and it's like all these crackers, saltines everywhere. Anyways. And so my friend who has no kids is getting in the car. And I was like, so there's going to be this pile of crackers on the floor and seat. Real talk here. But then I'm like, why do I do that? Why am I trying to make it look like I don't have kids that eat in the car and ride in this car every single day? Why am I only lighting the candle in the guest bathroom when I have people come over? Hopefully these stories are providing some insight, but if you're listening right now, like what's your thing? What's your candle in the bathroom? What's your bed frame? What's the thing that you're doing? Because you feel like you have to do it because society expects you to do that because you're afraid of the judgment or the ridicule if you don't do that. And is it really serving you? Well, here's the thing that's crazy, April, something that happened recently in my life that I was completely unaware of. So if you come into my house, everything's white. Like I love white. I wear white. Everything's white. And I do the thing, right? I clean up and for, in mine, I'm like, I don't want people to come into my house and be like, ew, gross. Like, I don't want them to have that experience. Like I want them to be comfortable or whatever. That's my justification. I didn't realize that for some of my friends, they don't have the time to make their house this nice, like clean when they come. And there was this level of discomfort that had created for them unknowingly that they didn't feel comfortable to kick up their feet and relax because they were worried that they would mess something up. And I come to their house with my white clothes and my white shoes. And they're like, oh gosh, I feel horrible that my job jumped up. Yeah. Yeah. That you're sitting on my dirty seat. Sorry. Let me dust it from like, you know, and there's this like angst that was going on. And I was just like, what is happening? And it's all because I created this ideal that was not ideal for other people because it's not real. Oh my gosh. You're right. You know, it, it's just not authentic. Now, if it's authentic to you, like, so people come to my house and uh, really minimalist and 
one of the coolest compliments that I got was we had a friend say, I don't know what it is about your house, but it just feels so soothing in here. Like there's no clutter anywhere. How do you do it? They want, they liked that experience for themselves. So I'm not going to get rid of my white furniture. I like my white furniture, but I set the example and I'm like, I put my feet on my white furniture and like, Hey, kick your feet up, like whatever. And just like more loose. And I think it actually helps people feel more comfortable seeing a couple loose ends in a seemingly white home. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, oh, okay. She's not so, she's not really uptight about it, which I'm not like, I don't have anything that I care about. I want people to be comfortable. Sure. So I think oftentimes we create these like fictitious reasons for ourselves that may not actually be truly serving. That is such a great point. Wow. What a great awareness to have that and then go, okay, well, how am I going to create it so that people come to my house and it's clean and it's white and it's the things that I like but that I still want them to feel comfortable. And I'm not setting this unrealistic expectation that they could never come to. Cause what are they going to do? Well, I'm never inviting her to my house. I don't want her to see how I live. Right. Yeah. Certainly not what we want. Oh, that's so good. Comes back to that. You know, what we were talking about earlier about just like getting really honest with yourself. Like, is this really the problem that I want to have? Is this a goal? Cause we put these like meta emotions or perspectives on it. Right. Like it's not really the root of what we're after. Like we want to like be successful so that we can spend quality time with our family, but in the process, we're not spending quality time with our family. So true. We want to impress our friends by being impressive, but in the process, we're actually alienating them. For whatever reason, as humans, we tend to overcomplicate things that are actually much simpler. That is so true. What I also hear is like a good dose of transparency and vulnerability solves a lot of these problems. Yeah, because it's a, you don't waste time on the stuff that doesn't matter, right? The stuff that, that actually isn't getting to the root of what the thing is. You know, what's interesting is as you said that, I just realized my daughter's comment. And I just pictured her at 30 and she's about to have friends over. And instead of being excited that her friends are over, she's going to go lighting a freaking candle in the guest bathroom. She's going to be fluffing pillows that don't get fluff all week, but are suddenly need to be fluffed that day. And I don't want her to feel anything but joy that she has the connection and the friends that she does and that they're coming over to the house. And the last thing I want to do is for her to feel anxiety because a friend's coming to stay that doesn't have kids and maybe doesn't know the amount of stuffed animals that can exist when you have two young daughters. The last thing I would want to do is to model that for her. And every time she sees me do this pre-guest shuffle, I'm teaching her to do the same thing. I got some thinking to do. Okay. We have one final question we like to ask, but before I do that, MJ, where's the best place for people to connect with you? Awesome. You can find all the things at my website, which is www.mj-gordon.com. We have a YouTube channel and podcast, so whatever medium you want. And then if you want to sign up for the free newsletter, I got like a week, like jam packed of like this micro course. It's like free things to help you get your life balanced and just dig through all these other things that affect your level of success and productivity. Oh, that's great. We'll put them in the show notes as well. And we'll backlink one final question. If you could tell the world one thing, what would it be? Ooh, man. I mean, that's like something we got to think about. (laughs) Love over fear. Love over fear. I think when we get in our own way and we put all these expectations on ourselves and we over plan and 
neglect ourselves and neglect our goals and our intentions. We're living from a fear-based perspective. Yeah. And I think when you put love first, you know, that path so far in my experience has never led in the wrong direction. Mm, That is so good. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom today and your honesty and your hilarious stories. We so appreciate the time that you spent today with us at Pivot Me. I do too, April. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me and I look forward to seeing you again. All right, take care. If I continue on this path, what is the worst thing that will happen? Man, negative visualization is not a tool I have used in the past, but it makes complete sense. It isn't just rehearsing tragedy, which our brain does just fine on its own. It can be used to look at a certain situation we are in or a choice that we're making and say, hey, if I don't change this thing right here, what will happen? It actually reminds me of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, where Scrooge gets the gift of sight. He sees the future that exists if he doesn't change. And once we know, we then face a choice. Knowing isn't enough. We've got to actually choose something different once we imagine this future if we don't change. In fact, Charles Dickens wrote, men's courses will foreshadow certain ends to which if preserved in, they must lead. But if the courses be departed from, the ends will change. What is Charles saying? He's saying, if you don't change, your course is actually rather predictable, though we don't always see it in the moment. Sounds like MJ looked ahead, looked at the future of her life and decided it wasn't what she wanted. The conversation that they had that day gave her the opportunity to change. And that's what she did. Now MJ is tightly focused on balance, on quality and on minimalism, which I need to ask her more about. She sees her life and her body like a high performance engine that needs maintenance, tending to. She said it's high risk to move forward when the foundation isn't right. I also really enjoyed when she pointed out just five minutes of unnecessary commitments each day, leads to 30 hours a year. Makes you rethink how you spend your time. I'll leave you with this parting quote. MJ asks the question, if I don't do the things that serve me, what's the cliff I'm about to fall off of? Man, when she said that, that really struck me. I mean, this could be about our health, our business, our relationships, but it keeps rattling around in my head, the cliff I'm about to fall off of. Please do this for me. Let me know which part stuck out for you. I'm still kind of stuck on that line, but what's the line that stuck for you? Which part made you pause for a moment and think, am I doing that? Do I need some perspective? Does the spirit of Christmas yet to come need to roll up in my house and shake some shit up? What's the part that stuck out to you? As for now, I'd love for you to go check out MJ at mj-gordon.com. And please, if you love this episode, share it and let us know what you think. Make it a great day. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you love what you hear, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Hit me up on Instagram at the April Garcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors, and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing.